Tonight I have a message, uh, Jesus, our chief cornerstone. This could be a Christmas message. It could be a, a Resurrection Sunday message. It could be a message any time of the year. Uh, it's one of the, um, a very important principle teaching that we have in the Word of God. And uh, I have another title, but I'll give that to you later. But Jesus, our chief cornerstone here. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, I just would ask that uh, you would communicate your word to your people tonight. And that I would not interfere with that. That Father God... Uh, we would leave here tonight with a greater and deeper understanding and a rejoicing that Jesus is our chief cornerstone and what that means to us in the body of Christ and what it means in eternity. We thank you for this, Father, uh, that this truth would be communicated to us by your Spirit, and we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. It starts in Psalm 118, verse 22. And it says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. In context, we go back to verse 21, I will praise you. Now, remember, this is a song, not a reading. Psalms are songs. This is something they would sing. I will praise you, for you have answered me, and you have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That's, this is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, interesting side note here on verse 24, that this is the day the Lord has made. It's not talking about a 24-hour day, which is okay. If you believe that, that's fine. I say it every morning. But it's not really what this means. It talks about a prophetic day and time. And verse 24 relates to the previous verses. So here we have a day when the chief cornerstone has been prophetically set in place. That is Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection. That's a prophetic day, and that's the day we rejoice and that are glad in. It's that day the Lord has made. The craving that all humanity has had for centuries for a Savior has come to pass. Now, if you say every day this is the day the Lord has made, that's good too. I do. But that's really what it means as a prophetic time of a day that God has set place to change the course of humanity, change the course of eternity. So let's look back at some background here first before we go any further, because the background here is very important uh, to us to explain what we're really looking at here. Uh, in ancient times, when they would build, um, they would lay a cornerstone, and that would be laid down for the structure that is going to be built, and it's found, guess where? In the corner of the building. How about that? Uh, you had to know you were Bible scholars, huh? In the corner of the building. Now, modern construction uh, does not build this way. They build in a totally different manner than they do in ancient times. Today, cornerstones are only ceremonial in meaning, uh, yet I'm sure in some third world countries, they may still use them for building purposes to this day. But today, um, a cornerstone is simply a memorial. Uh, to the year that the building was erected. Now, if you've noticed carefully, we have a cornerstone on our building. Those of you who have noticed, if you didn't, you can look. Not tonight, it's dark. But in the daytime, you could look. That's the year on it. And uh, that's our cornerstone for our own building here. Uh, sometimes in cornerstones, I don't remember what we did back in 1992 when this was built. But in, in some places, uh, when they have cornerstones, uh, they place things behind them. 
It's a hollow thing in the year that it was made. Uh, they put coins, newspapers, uh, photographs. Uh, years ago when they built churches, especially in the 1800s, they would have a whole page of signatures of the charter members of the church. That would go inside the cornerstone. Has anybody ever seen cornerstones that have been broken open, what they found inside of them? Yes? Yeah. Some of you have? Yeah, I have. Uh, it's amazing things to look at. Things that they thought were important in that day that they put in the cornerstone. I don't remember if we did that. I think we did, but I don't remember. Uh, but anyway, uh, so it, it, it's a memorial to remember. It's a big deal. This building has gone up. Now, in ancient times, cornerstones were a reference point for all other stones to be laid subsequent to the cornerstone. So in ancient times, uh, they could be doing different things. It could be a big boulder, or it could be two stones buried under the ground. Very different. And then the building would be laid on top of that. Uh, for example, in the temple foundation in Jerusalem, uh, it was 17 uh, to, four, uh, to 19 feet long and seven and a half feet thick. That's some stone. Who moves this stone? <laughs> Very tired mules. Hope they fed them well. Also, some buildings in ancient times had stones protruding from the corner of the building. Uh, let's say that's the corner of a building there, and they would have stones literally going out from the corner in both directions. And um, these protruding stones would go from the corner of the wall where the cornerstone was placed. So outside the corner of the building, uh, people would know that's where the cornerstone is. So they weren't hidden, in other words. You could actually see the physical stones moving from the building. Uh, not all of them built that way, but it was very common. Uh, so you could see uh, the cornerstone, which probably is buried and unseen. This would be then the chief cornerstone that everybody could see on top of the cornerstone. That's obvious to view. Now, this is very important for us tonight. Don't lose that thought. Now, in Matthew chapter 21 here, in verse 23, we have Jesus' authority being questioned by the chief priests and the, aid and the elders of Israel. They gang up on him. And Jesus says to them, uh, down in uh, verse 42, oh, he answers them with parables. Mentions a lot of parables to them. Parables are simply stories with another meaning. And back in, then in verse 42, Jesus says to them, after all the parables he mentioned, have you never read in the Scriptures? Of course, he knew they did. Have you never read in the Scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? That's, this is, was the Lord's doing and is marvelous in our eyes. Here, Jesus quotes what we just saw in Psalm 118. <clears throat> now, he noticed rejected because if the cornerstone wasn't proper, they would move it aside and find something else. So he's talking here about a stone rejected that should have been the cornerstone. And here in uh, Psalm 118, verse 22, this verse is so important that it's not only mentioned here in Matthew's gospel, but it's in Luke's gospel in chapter 12. It's in, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Math Mark's gospel, chapter 12, Luke's gospel, chapter 20, and again in the book of Acts, chapter 4. Wow! When we see something like this repeated so many times, we have found something very important that's being said as a teaching and a principle, usually a principle. And you don't need a PhD to draw a conclusion like that. It's so obvious when you see things repeated like this. So getting back to Jesus here in his use of the cornerstone scripture, 
from uh, Psalm 118, uh, here Jesus got in their faces, showing them that the builders, ah, the chief priests of Israel and the elders of Israel had rejected the cornerstone, which is standing before them. Jesus, the soon to be crucified, and the cornerstone of Christianity of the new covenant. And then they will also then reject his resurrection, the chief cornerstone. Remember, two cornerstones. So remember here they use two cornerstones at times in buildings, one you can't see and one you can see. And notice the word, the, the number two, very important in Scripture. Number two is always a picture of redemption. You'll see that many, many, many times in Scripture, over and over and over, the number two, whenever you see that, it uses a picture of redemption. And here is a picture of this is the redemption of Israel, the redemption of the world. So um, here we have Jesus, the chief cornerstone, I'm sorry, the cornerstone at the cross. And then we have him becoming the chief cornerstone at the resurrection. So Christianity, right, the Lord's uh, church is Jesus' building. And the chief cornerstone is holding it up. Remember, all other stones will be measured by it. All other walls will be measured by it. He is the one that all is measured by. So like buildings had cornerstones in place, uh, as I mentioned, and since cornerstones measure what follows, Jesus measures what is to follow for ages to come, the church. And they're all properly measured against him. As he ministers, so now does his church minister. That's you and me. Not, not a professional clergy, but rather the body of Christ. We minister as the Lord's church. And we are measured up by him. Right? We wouldn't want to be in a wall going in another direction. Uh, that We call those cults. <laughs> we want to be lined up in his direction, built upon his original foundation. So, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 here, in verses 9 to 11, uh, let's look at Paul's here, very choice words, showing this analogy. In verse 9, we are God's fellow workers, you are God's fill, uh, field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me, I, as a master, wise master builder, have laid the foundation. Another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can be laid other than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now we're getting back to something here uh, that they understood in the first century of how buildings were made. Everything is measured against the cornerstone. If Jesus is our cornerstone, our chief cornerstone, then everything else that follows is going to be in his model. In his, in his measurement. And as I said here, we are the building. Jesus, the chief cornerstone, holds it up that it will never fall. Here we have again in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Paul is talking again. And he says again, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers or foreigners, but fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God, having been built upon the foundation, here goes that building talk again, of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. This now becomes a pretty 
consistent teaching in the whole New Testament. He goes on in verse 21, in whom the whole building, the whole body of Christ, is being fit together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Right? Doesn't he tell us in Corinthians, we are a temple of the Holy Spirit? Verse 22, in whom you are being built together for a dwelling place of the Spirit of God. There's all that building talk again. Again, Paul is talking in ways that people can understand. How in the world do you describe things of eternity and the spirit realm to a mind that can't understand the spirit realm? I have a pea brain that cannot understand the spirit realm. I need examples. I need analogies. I need parables. I need pictures. Well, here he's given us the building picture to understand here for us what God is doing. So when he says being built together— other translations say being fit together. I like that better. Being fit together is the picture of one stone being fit together with another. And of course, we've all seen stone walls that have been built, not bricks, but stone walls. They carefully fit the stones together when they choose them. I, my grandfather used to build houses of stone, and um, he was a carpenter, but he also built stone. Was, he was a stonemason, and they, they would build walls and, and, and houses of stone and had to very carefully choose the stones carefully as they got fit together, right? We are fit together with stones next to us. Now, I, don't, I know you don't want to look at the person next to you and say, wow, you look stoned. I know you don't want to say that, but they are a perfect stone, and only God knows— how, I, you're thinking of their past, I know. Stop, don't go there. Well, but only God knows how those stones fit. We don't. And I'm not to reject the stones He chooses to fit next to me. Because usually we're, our reaction, oh, I don't want this stone next to me. But He chose it to be. You must be fit together with it. And He doesn't bang it with a hammer to make sure it fits. He makes sure it's fit perfect. You and I are being fit together just like stones on a wall, stones in a building to build a structure, fit together with someone else in the body of Christ that we need to produce fruit together as believers in the day we live in. So it's that picture of one stone being fit together with another stone. So you and I are a spiritual building that the Lord is building, His church. He builds His church, and we have a spiritual importance, especially if you have an assembly of believers and they believe that the Lord has sent them here to this assembly, and this is their home church, and this is the pastor that the Lord has chosen to watch over their souls, that's a fitting taking place. Now, why would I attend a particular church? Is because, first of all, the most important reason is the person there who was the pastor of that church, the, the chief pastor, has been appointed to watch over my soul. Why did I first uh, become uh, part of the Church of Grace and Peace? Actually, it was a prayer meeting before it became a church because I knew Walter Healy, not the man, but the gift in him, had the charge of God to watch over my soul. And there's no question about it. That's where I go. At the time, it wasn't a church. It was a prayer meeting. But that's where I have to be because that's the one appointed to watch over my soul. If I go to a different church or church, church assembly, and that person is not appointed to watch over my soul, first of all, it won't witness to me. And second, they would be a stranger. Yes, they're a believer, I know. But they would be a stranger to me. So my first choice in finding a church uh, is this where the Lord has appointed someone to watch over my soul. Or do I receive from this person in the spirit realm? I mean, we, when Pastor Walt was alive uh, among us, he's in alive in heaven, uh, we used to constantly hear people tell us, well, when Pastor Walt speaks, God talks to me. That means a fitting has taken place. 
When he, it isn't him speaking anymore. It's the Spirit of God communicating to someone's spirit because you're fit together. There's a fitting there that is taking place in the spirit realm. And of course, that goes on when we are the Lord's church, a local assembly, and people are membered at a local assembly. We are being fit together. All of a sudden, these aren't just anybody. They're my local church family. They're important to me. Their souls are important to me. Yes, all men are worthy of my attention, but some are family. And that's a different relationship. That's a different priority because now they're being knit together. So when one suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. You know those scriptures. So a fitting here is being done in the spirit realm that our minds don't comprehend. We know where we belong. We know where we're fitted. And that's a very important issue. We are the Lord's building that he's being fit together. So we're here in this world uh, to come and find salvation and wholeness. And uh, we are here to bring this world salvation and wholeness. And you and I are the ones that give people hope. You are the ones, you and I are the ones that offer them a cornerstone of security in their lives that they can rest upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So we become a very important entity here that you can't see with your eyes, can't understand with your mind. But it's a place where people can come and find refuge for their souls. Because we have done something where we are the Lord's building. Not the physical building, but there's something spiritually happening. So we're fit together. That's the point. We are fit together like a building. I need you. You need me. We need each other. We have to really appreciate these, the seriousness of that. Now, one uh, Bible scholar named Dr. Vine, uh, regarding the chief cornerstone here, Jesus, he says that uh, fit together implies to give strength to the walls of connecting Christ for both Jew and Gentile. Because Paul goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are a new race of Jew and Gentile as new creations in Christ Jesus. You know, we look at people in the world as white, black, red, yellow. That's not how God sees races. God only sees Jew, the non-Jew, the Gentile, and then something different, the new creation in Christ Jesus who is made up of Jew and Gentile and are no longer known after the flesh, but they're a spiritual race. We are God's race of people. I mean, there's people here from all different types of ethnicities, races, skin colors. Uh, your, your families go back to all different types of languages. Why are we here together? We should have nothing in common. But we're here because, first of all, we're Americans, lovers of liberty and freedom. And, but second, we're here because, that's why our forefathers came here, but we're here because God has made a fitting in the spirit realm that we are a new race in Christ Jesus. So it's very important that we don't know one another any longer. Who's Italian? Who's French? Who's white? Who's black? That would be lowering ourselves from what God has really brought us into. We now are only known by, uh, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. So when I got born again, I stopped being an Italian-American, a second generation born in America. I stopped that. I'm not, I'm not Italian anymore. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Yes, I have a particular bent of food that I like. Yes. There's something red at every meal. Yes, I understand that. But beyond that, uh, I no longer glory in an ethnicity that I was born into. Otherwise, I've lowered myself. I've raised, Jesus has raised me up to be a new creature in Christ Jesus. How else could I call someone else of another ethnicity or another race, brother and sister? 
That shouldn't be a light issue. That's a serious issue. How can they be brother and sister if they're from a completely different race? Because we're fit in Christ. That makes us a very important spiritual entity. Most people don't get this. You really got to get this. You got to stop being walking after the flesh, walking after the natural man, walking after the ways of this world or how this world classifies people. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. You're a new race of people. I could never, because as a Gentile, call a Jew brother. That's impossible. But if I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus, Jew and Gentile have passed away. I'm now a new creature in Christ. So Ephesians here, in Ephesians, Paul talks about that we become a new race of people. And now another important concept here is that you, uh, regarding these cornerstones, once you, once you put them up, you can't move them. Once you've set a cornerstone up in the ancient buildings, they don't ever get moved. Oops, I think we got to move this building five feet this way. They may do that today, but they didn't do that in those days. You cannot do that. It's forever immovable in that place. Jesus is the immovable cornerstone. He can't be moved for all eternity, and neither can his church be removed from this world. People have tried over the centuries to remove the Lord's church, and they have always always failed again and again and again. And they will always fail because you cannot move the Lord's church. You can't see it with the natural eye. The, its presence will always be here immovable. And remember now I said a very important point is that some cornerstones um, protrude outside the corner of a building. I just dribbled on myself. This is obviously a drizzle cup. <clears throat> okay, so some cornerstones here protrude outside the corner of a building. So that means is when you're walking to the corner of a building, if you don't watch your step where you're looking, you could fall over the cornerstone and get injured. You getting that point? It's very simple. So if anyone stumbles over Jesus by ignoring him, that person is going to do injury to themselves. Don't take my word for it. Look here at what it says in Matthew's gospel. Uh, actually, Matthew's gospel, uh, that same verse is in Luke chapter 20, verses 17 and 18. He looked at them and said, what then is this that is written? that the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now listen, whoever falls on that stone will be broken, and whoever falls on it will be grind him to powder. Wow. Now that would normally make no sense to us if we didn't realize they protruded outside the building, that you have to literally not look fall over it, and get injured. How can you miss a stone that big? How can you miss Jesus? How can you miss him? That's what he's saying to Israel. How can you miss me? To miss me will injure you. And then he says, whomever it falls upon will ground him to powder. Not to see Jesus will cause someone to stumble over him, and they will injure themselves. It's like not seeing that protruding cornerstone that's so easy to see and yet trip over it in the natural and doing injury to your body. Remember I said I had another title for tonight's sermon? It is Don't Stumble Over Jesus. 
don't stumble over Jesus. And also we see here the Jesus saying, whomever it falls on. Um, fall, the cornerstone falling on people is a symbolic picture that Jesus' position in eternity will reign supreme and it will leave no rejectors of him standing in their own defense. All the rejectors of, of Christ will be crushed by that cornerstone. It'll fall upon them in eternity. Now we see here Jesus is using first century examples uh, for those who live in the first century because they clearly understood them. Like this was an agrarian culture. I don't live in a farming culture. So if you use farming expressions, I'll scratch my head. They knew exactly what farming expressions meant. They knew of things happening in their culture. Um, my gosh, if you read some sermons that were written 100 years ago, 150 years ago, you wouldn't be understanding some of the things they said because they were using concepts in their day as they explained the gospel. Today, we would use things in our day that if somebody of yesteryear would hear our sermons, they wouldn't know what in the world we're talking about because we're using things that we all know about. So whenever we go back to the gospels, especially Jesus' words, and he starts using expressions that first century people would certainly understand, we have to start asking questions like, what are those things that they are taking for granted that they understood? It's not that hard to learn. In fact, there's a great book um, by a man named Alfred Edersheim. Uh, he lived latter 1800s. He wrote several books, but he wrote this one great book called... Um, Jerusalem um, in the light of the yeah Jerusalem in the light of the first century I think that was the title and another one called Jewish a sketch of Jewish social life in the first century where he would take the examples of what they knew in the first century to show what was being said in the gospels that they easily understood in, in their day because the cultures here cross I mean, if you remember a scripture that Jesus used about a tower falling on people, we're like, what tower? What are you talking about? Obviously, it was something they knew in their day of this tower that fell on people and people got killed that they all knew about. Oh, yeah, the tower. I read it in the newspaper. Yeah, yeah. They all knew what it was. We don't know what it was. We have no clue. Uh, but he's using an example very current to them that they understood. So Jesus is constantly using these examples. So they knew, my point of, they knew of protruding cornerstones that went out from corners of buildings. It was obvious to them. It wasn't some deep hidden meaning. It was obvious what he was talking about. So the chief Israel uh, priests and elders of Israel, they weren't stupid. They knew cornerstones protruded from the buildings, especially very large ones, and they knew what it meant to watch your step or you're going to trip and injure yourself. So they also knew the scripture from Psalm 118, which Jesus quoted. They knew exactly who he was and who he was proclaiming to be, and yet they refused to believe. Wow. He becomes the cornerstone they reject. You know, we, we look at this, and so many times I've always asked myself the question, why could you refuse this? Why? It's so clear. We have the answer right here. In John chapter 11, in verses 47 to 49, John tells us. He says, Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council together and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. 
And one of them, Caiaphas, uh, being the high priest that year, said to them, you don't know anything at all. Nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. In other words, if you're reading carefully there, they feared their place of importance would be taken away from them. Plus, you have to remember, they're getting a lot of financial profit by selling things necessary at Passover time. They were the ones who owned all those businesses that made money off the, of these uh, religious celebrations that people had to go to. So it's my importance, my money. Okay. Isn't that the same today, though? Right? How many people have the attitude, it's my time, my money, my place in society. What will others think of me? You know, fearing that our place will be taken from us if people knew that we were walking with Jesus. So are we all that different from the Pharisees? I hope so, but people deal with the same exact thing today. They stumble over Jesus. I mentioned that a few weeks ago in a sermon I did. We had somebody here, he had come to Bible school, graduated, loved the Lord, definitely born again, but he would never tell his family he was a believer. Because in the, in the home they were raised in, that was not acceptable. If you weren't Roman Catholic, you were rejected. And he was not Roman Catholic. So he would never tell them where he went to church and what he believed, and especially that he went to Bible school. When he got his Bible school diploma, he just went to draw somewhere. Because so that his family would never see it. What is he doing? He's stumbling over Jesus, the chief cornerstone. And to my knowledge... I don't know if the guy walks with the Lord today. Because one day he disappeared and we never saw him again. Yet his wife started coming to church. And she said, I understand what is this guy. He couldn't get me to go to church. And now I finally come to church. Now he doesn't come to church. <sighs> and uh, really strange. But yeah, when we, you know, we have to be careful we don't make fun of the Pharisees so much because don't we act the same way they do sometimes? Here they were in fear because of Jesus of losing their place of prominence in society, and yet we tend to act the same way sometimes. There are certain people we don't want them to know that we're believers. Amazing. Yet in verse 51 here, it goes on to say, uh, John says regarding what we just read, now this he did not say on his own authority, but being the high priest, that year he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Isn't that amazing? They didn't see the true Lamb of God coming among them, and they didn't see the chief uh, cornerstone of the new covenant becoming the chief cornerstone at the resurrection. They didn't see it. Uh, so if you remember now, I mentioned also that um, Psalm 118 was quoted in the book of Acts in verse 11. Acts chapter 4, verse 11. So let's look at that in context briefly. In verses 10 to 12, here we have a healing that's taking place. And Peter says to the Jewish leaders, Let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, no, it's not Rome, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. Here it goes again. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone for their salvation in no other name under heaven, given among men which we must be saved. Paul, uh, Peter here tells it just like it is. 
you're the chief elders, you rejected the cornerstone, and this is the cornerstone by which this man before you is healed. So here, the Jewish leaders and the builders were being accused by Peter because it tells us here clearly Jesus is that chief cornerstone and their salvation in no other name. Not in the name of good works that we could do to try to be good, not or the name of another person, not in the name of the amount of money we could possibly buy our way into heaven, not by knowing mom and dad who knew Jesus, I'm, I'm saved because they're saved, certainly not in any of the false religions and teachings of the day. If people could clearly see, they would not want to be rejectors of the chief cornerstone, or people will injure themselves for eternity. I don't know who's listening to this message on a podcast. Uh, have you rejected the chief cornerstone? Have you accepted Christ as Savior? That's really the point where I'm, I'm trying to bring this tonight for those who would hear this message outside tonight in time and space, but somewhere in the future. What, if, what will you do with Jesus, the chief cornerstone? Will you reject him or will you embrace him? If you reject him, that cornerstone will crush you one day. And that was never his intention. His intention is that it would save you and bring wholeness to your life. In 1 Peter chapter 2 here, in verses 6 to 8, it tells us, here we have it all over again. Therefore, it is contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Now we understand what a stone of stumbling means. It's protruding out and you stumble over it when you should be watching for it and you hurt yourself. So in rejecting Jesus, he becomes the stone that stumbled over because people uh, failed to see this stone so clearly that was so meant to be seen and yet stumbled over him. And he becomes a rock of offense then instead of a rock of blessings. Sister J.L., could you come up, please? Uh, she's going to close us with a song tonight. And she's getting ready here. Um, I have a scripture here I wanted to close with tonight uh, from Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Same theme over and over again in scripture. This is from the Amplified Bible. And the prophet Isaiah says, Therefore, the Lord God says, Listen carefully. I am laying in Zion a stone a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for the secure foundation firmly placed. He who believes, who trusts in, relies on, adheres to that stone will never be disturbed or give way in sudden panic. And in life, we always have difficulties and trials that come our way. For some people, it's financial. For some people, it's physical issues. For many people, it's family issues, relationship issues. And sometimes it's difficult to make sense of things that come our way. Uh, when life, we would love to have be perfect, and it's not at times. Uh, hurts that come our way. This is the time that we need to remember, I am attached to a cornerstone that cannot be moved. 
What I see is subject to change. Paul tells us that in Corinthians. If we can see it, it's subject to change. Jesus is not subject to change. He's my cornerstone that grounds me, that I can be bit, uh, build and fit into and be secure. Even though everything around me can be crumbling, I know I have a cornerstone that will never fail me, that I can always remain and I'll never fall like a, like a, a foundation falls, uh, a wall falls due to a poor, poor foundation. He's never a poor foundation. He's my firm foundation into eternity. Too often we always only see life in terms of what we see through our eyes in this world, through our five senses. But yet that is not the real expression of life. We are eternal beings in a physical body for a time period. And then we go home to be with the Lord where our true home is, or our true cornerstone keeps us and sustains us. So in Jesus, my cornerstone, I'm secure. I will not be moved from my position with the Father. I can trust him with my eternity. Let's meditate here. Uh, you're welcome to stand up and sing if you know it. Sister JL is going to sing a song here on that. Let's just close here tonight with that song and meditate on those words. So oh.
trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as our chief cornerstone. The evil one is a liar. Says you're going to be crushed by the circumstances of life that we're going through. The opposite is true. Because Jesus is our cornerstone, we cannot be crushed. Rather, the plans of the wicked one are crushed in our lives and pulverized by the chief cornerstone. We stand secure in you knowing that you know how to keep us in these days ahead. And we thank you that no one can take us away from you, from your presence, from the chief cornerstone that is our guarantee in eternity of our stability, for Jesus is the stability of our times. And we thank you for this, Father, in these days ahead, that we are attached to the chief cornerstone. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hope you got something from that. Praise the Lord.